welcome back to Why Such a Fast Podcast. And Kate from Janet HR Solution is back with us. Hi, Kate. Welcome back. Hi, Christina. Thank you for having me again. Good to see you. Thank you. So today we're going to focus on how to select the best candidates from multiple applicants. Are there any specific technique, Kate, that an employer or a recruiter can use to help them to select the right candidate? Okay, so obviously it's great to be in that position to have multiple applications that um, you've obviously got to make the decision between. That's a great position for businesses to be in. But I understand obviously that can then prove a challenge to then ensure you are then selecting the best candidate from that pool that you've got. Um, So I know in previous episodes, we discussed interviews and ensuring um, that as an employer, you are attracting the right candidate. So it's great. We're now at this point. Um, So in terms of then selecting the best candidate, I think throughout the interview process, it's important to have consistency, avoid any bias um, thoughts. or challenges that you may come across. Um, I think scoring within the interview process is great. So you've got that comparison in an objective way. Um, and you can achieve that by ensuring you're asking the same questions to each candidate and sort of trying to stick to um, a schedule um, rather than asking different candidates different questions. Another way to ensure that you are selecting the best candidate could be to involve others in the process. A second opinion is always great, um, whether that be within the interview process or the shortlisting process. I think it's important to consider the applicant's attitude um, and work ethic as well. Um, I know we discussed before, it's not necessarily just about experience and education, um, work ethic and attitude is often important to employers when considering applications. We also touched previously on uh, considering culture fit, um, equally important. But I think once you've then got to that point and you've perhaps shortlisted further and reduced that pool um, and still struggling to decide, um, there's multiple ways to then narrow that further. Um, That could be through a second interview. Again, that could be with the same interview panel or involving different um, appropriate people within that second interview panel. It could be an assessment um, that could help you determine how well the candidate will potentially perform in the role if the job was to be offered. You could, depending on the role and what the candidate is, the, the job that the candidate is applying for, you could ask them to put a pitch together. There could be a practical assessment where you set a task directly related to what the job they will be doing is um, to then assess against that. Um, And also some businesses do use psychometric testing and on the job trials, but I know from our previous discussions, Christina, there's perhaps that perhaps isn't the right way. 
So I don't know if you want to say a bit more about that or your your thoughts and views on that. Yes, no, I'm glad you touched on that, on, on psychosomatic testing. So at a personal level, I absolutely love them. I can't get enough of them and I jump at any opportunity. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I've been involved in, yeah. in many of the I, just, I, just I find it so interesting how... how I? I just love them. But from a legal and ethical perspective, I can't reconcile myself with them. And the reason for that is because those testing are not really reliable. And what I mean by that is that the results will vary according to the mood of the individuals. If they had an argument first thing in the morning with their spouse, for example, the environment in where the testing is being done, if you're not feeling too well, for example, that will vary the results. And I know because I've done those tests mm-hmm. and I know that the results vary. So you can... You I think there's really... an element with that as well. Sorry, Christine. I think there's an element with that as well that um, potentially candidates are trying to second guess what they should yes. potentially be answering. And is this what how I'm really feeling or is this what the employer wants me Absolutely, yes. So it's not necessarily a true representation. That's right. Whenever whenever someone does those testing, they have to take the results with a pinch of salt. Now, from a, a GDPR perspective, these tests involve the processing of special category data, which is medical data, because personal intellect and emotional capacity will fit under the medical definition of medical data. Now, Article 5 of the regulation stipulates that the collection of special category data is prohibited, full stop, okay? Unless one of the exemptions from Article 9 can be applied. In this scenario, the only exception applicable is explicit consent. Now, here's the caveat. For consent to be valid, it needs to be freely given. And such an acceptable exception is not applicable where there is an imbalance of power between the parties. So if you think in the scenario of a candidate applying for a job versus the employer or the recruiter, there is clear power imbalance in there. So there was a great discussion on LinkedIn recently specific on this topic amongst various GDPR specialists. And so we were comparing the psychometric testing to being the same as like the supermarket loyalty scheme. Uh, But there is a crucial difference. So in a loyalty scheme scenario, you earn points through your card and then those points are translated into money off in terms of a voucher, for example. Now, that one is a straight one way. In the job application scenario, it's a two way, actually, because there is a 50-50 chance that the result of the testing will work in favour or against the candidate. And therefore, there could be a disadvantage to the individuals. This is defined as profiling under the GDPR. And there are situations where an applicant might not necessarily have the luxury to pick and choose which job application they go for because they need a job. They need money to, to pay the bills or to put food on the table. They will consent to the testing even if they don't want to. So this is where the freely given just goes out the window and therefore that makes the consent totally void, totally invalid. And that means that 
the employer or the recruiter will then process that data unlawfully. There is also something else to consider, again, under the, the GDPR. It's because psychosomatic testing fall under the profiling, then it is mandatory for the controller, i.e. the employer or the recruiter, to carry out a DPIA before going ahead with the processing uh, of, of the testing. And the reason for that is because the GDPR consider profiling activities as a high risk to the rights and freedom of the individual. So as I said previously, at a personal level, I absolutely love them. I can't get enough of them. <laughs> um, but from an ethical and legal perspective, I find it really hard to condone and justify the use of this test as part of a recruitment process. I think there are other ways, which you have already touched on that, Kate, um, on how to assess the individual attitude, the individual, um, you know, whether they're going to fit within the culture of the organisations. Again, from an ethical and legal perspective, this testing is quite dangerous for both parties, I think. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't yeah. realise there was so much in-depth behind that, actually. So Yes, there is, uh, there is a lot to think about when it comes to that. Um, okay, so round over on the psychometric testing. <laughs> is, there, is there anything else that an employer can do to ensure the right candidate is selected? Okay, so there is, um, I don't know if we touched on before, um, potential on-the-job trials as well. Um, so you could um, offer... Uh, the candidate the chance to obviously take the role on, on a trial basis um, if that is the case it's obviously important that um, the candidate is still paid at least national minimum wage and there are obviously legal obligations that the employer must still comply with and um, however having that work trial period um, is a great way for the employer to assess how the employee is going to perform in the role um, and just allows that bit more time to get to know the candidate um, obviously in an on-the-job in kind of scenario. But I think to sum up really, if I'm ever unsure when interviewing personally, I always try and consider, first of all, can the candidate do the job? Do they want to do the job? Um, because obviously in the current market, we find that people are just applying for jobs because like you said, they need a job, they need the money, um, there's bills to pay, etc. Um, which obviously we have that understanding with, but we need somebody it's going to work for the business and want to work for the business so I think that's always key are they coachable because as we've discussed they may not necessarily have um the relevant education experience previously but if they're willing to learn and it's clear that they are coachable um I think that's a great positive to take from an interview are they interested in that learning and any progression opportunity especially if you're a business that is looking to progress from within and to sort of grow the team in that way and if they're a good fit for the team culture, really. Um, so, yeah, it's not just about skills, experience, education and how good potentially a candidate may seem on paper, but actually looking at the whole scenario and all the points we've discussed. Fantastic. I could I totally agree with you, Kate. So um, excellent. Thank you very much. This concludes this episode. Thank you, Kate. And um, hopefully see you again next time. Yes. Thank you for having me again. That's brilliant. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Christina.